Hey everybody, uh, technically it's Easter time around here, and it doesn't seem like it because it's Rochester, but with our Zoom bunny, Pat, Hello. To delivering eggs on Sunday, of course, yep. as always. And you know what, it's spring though, so with spring, I think of summer, but before that we were joined by Dell, looking very fancy with that hat. Thank you. I just <laughs> got you go. some sort of chat line that came up, let's get rid of that or what? I don't know if you I hear any weird really noises in the background. Uh, are you expecting him. anyone else? Oh, yeah, Paul. Okay. Is there anyone else? Oh, hey, there's okay, Paul. The walrus okay. is Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going chaotically, but we just started. It's great to see you, Paul. Hey, Chaz, in your car. Hello. But we're very thrilled for this episode. Okay, spring goes into summer eventually here for two weeks. And what do you think of summer surf music? It's always awesome. It's great all time of the year, but we're going to give you a summer vibe today for this fun spring weather. We're thrilled to welcome Susan Surftone. Hi, Susan. Hello. Hi, it's good to be here. How did this surf hey. music, how did this all start for you? When did you get the bug for it? I got the bug for it. Well, I started taking guitar lessons right after the Beatles came over in 64. And I was like nine years old. And I hadn't heard of surf music, and I, I, but I wanted to be a lead guitar player. So my teacher, my teacher Joe Skaraki back in Hudson, New York, he kind of realized that I was good, even though I was this little girl, and he knew I could play. And he got out this Ventures book, and I had never heard of the Ventures before. It's what's this? Okay. And we played Walk, Don't Run. And we would do this thing where I'd, he'd teach me the lead, and he'd play rhythm, and then we'd switch around, and I'd play rhythm, and he'd play lead, so I'd learn how to play rhythm guitar. And I just really liked it because it was the lead guitar, it was up front, it was melodic, and that was it. And then I started playing, along with all the Beatles stuff that I did with play, I started playing Venture songs. I and remember, I, I remember like meeting Dick Dale. Copy. Go on, go yeah. on, Dale. Yeah, dude. I remember meeting Dick Dale and almost getting beaten up, I thought, because Dick... He was two hours late for the meeting. I was second in line at the House of Guitars. Mm -hmm. So he starts talking to me, and he won't stop. I start asking him about, okay, at the bug jar here, it was Link Race, Scotty Moore, and him. And he just says, well, you know, I didn't really, I fell into this because I'm left-handed. He's going on. By the end of the conversation, he was inviting me to his house at Big Sur. And That's this cool. people, two hours waiting behind me, the looks of death I was getting from the people behind me was like, I'm really going <laughs> to watch it. Yeah. But he's a talker once you get him going. <laughs> yeah. There's one time I met him, I waited till everybody left, and then I went up and said hello. And then two <laughs> days later, you were free. <laughs> Well, that's the thing about Rob. Rob's always getting past the velvet rope and get with the uh, stars and getting dirty looks. We don't know how he does it, but that's what happens with Rob. So, we <laughs> bow to you, Rob. But yes, uh, that's the thing. I think surf music it just hooks you like that, doesn't it? For you guys, now you guys, how did you first? Everybody, if you want to, how did you discover it? All of you, the first time you really oh, heard. You're asking everybody. Yeah, anybody wants to jump in? My dad. My dad used to play Ventures albums when I was a kid. He used to put on this big Motorola stereo and play Ventures, and I just, I totally dug the songs. They were great. You know, and luckily my mom got into, like, Bill Haley. That's where I got some of the rockabilly influence. And, uh, you know, just songwriting in particular, all throughout the 60s and 70s, from, you know, different songwriters. Now, I know Chaz has played surf music, haven't you? Yeah, so my first band, uh, when I was just like Sue was Susan saying, uh, 
um i wrote you know surf was sounded to me fun and sexy and you know easy to get into so uh Mar i was in cousin now with brian goodman susan uh, oh yeah brian yeah yeah brian brian uh opened me up to a lot of punk and good trashy stuff mm -hmm. i still have a 45 oh, surfing on the barge canal in my basement exactly <laughs> <laughs> Well, you'll you'll be thrilled. Paul will be thrilled to know because his wife's English that Susan's done a lot of Beatles stuff. Yeah, we don't say Beatles around here, Rob. You know that. It's like uh, <laughs> it's our in joke. He's the one person his wife is English. She doesn't like the Beatles at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like somebody not liking Star Wars or something. <laughs> oh, it's like being a Wookiee and not liking Star Wars. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> No, so Susan, you start off, and what were some of your first uh, terms of gigs and recordings and everything? Oh, I didn't play. I played a little bit in college, just kind of with the acoustic guitar. I didn't play in a band until I was in New York City when I was working for the FBI. And um, I started about, oh, I got a singer and worked with some singers, and people came was and that, went. Was that yeah. the band, the, the Change? You recall the Change or thing? That, that came later. This is this is like the eighties. This okay. is like oh god, this would be eighty two, probably that I started actually with a band in New York City. Because when I was working for the bureau, I was walking by CBGBs all the time, and I was looking at all these clubs and saying, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Because I was getting older. I mean, I was twenty eight, and I was like, oh, I'm getting old, getting old. And it was, if I don't do this, I'm never going to do it. So I made the decision to do it. Bureau didn't like it. I had to, I remember walking into the ASAC, the assistant uh, super the agent in charge, and walking in and saying I wanted to play in a band. And he said, where are you going to play? And I said, well, CBGBs and, you know, Gildersleeves and oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I'll have to ask. So he asked. I don't know who he asked. <laughs> and then um, I got told, no, you can't do that because we feel you'd be compromising yourself. So I said, well, here I have to, I have to choose. I have to choose. So I chose to start the band and I, I left the bureau and I, I didn't really regret leaving. It was kind of like I knew I really wasn't going to make it a career. There were a lot of factors that were kind of working against me at that time. So I figured uh, this isn't going to be a career. I enjoyed some of the work, but eh, I'd rather play guitar. So, enough, I'm assuming you had like a probably like a secret clearance and stuff like that, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and yeah. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have at the time because we all know my background. You know, we know I'm gay. And um, you weren't supposed to be LGBTQ back then. You could get yeah. fired. So I knew like, it wasn't going to turn into a career for me because I wasn't going to be able to live like that all my life. So I knew I'd be leaving sometime. And. Like I said, the clock was ticking as far as playing music, so I figured that was the time to do it, and I did it. And I started bands with vocalists, and people would always say to me, well, your leads sound like surf leads. So that was kind of a clue. Don't forget, I was an FBI agent, so I picked up on clues. <laughs> and it was like, well, this is a clue. Wow, Everybody's telling me they're hearing surf. Here. <laughs> they're hearing surf in my lead, so, you know, okay, that's fine with me. That's good. And it just kind of evolved that way that I kept thinking to myself, you know, singers would come and go. That's what happened with the change, Dell. You know, you're working with a singer and then right. it doesn't work out and the singer leaves. And if you're not the singer, a good bit of the, the whole sound goes and you're starting over yeah. again. So when I was in Rochester. One thing, one thing I was going to say, I'm very, very proud of the first um, 
copyrighted song I wrote with you called Step Away. That's it's right. I remember favorite. that one. I remember yep. that one. I remember Butchie the German Shepherd sitting on the floor watching us sing, watching us play. Yeah. I didn't know if we were going to get bit yes, or if it was a good thing. But, That's perfect. Um, All you have to do is have a German Shepherd. You know how to do music then because if it doesn't bite you, you did a good song. That's right. We didn't get bit, so... <laughs> So all, all, <laughs> the only scandal I could think of from the FBI would be if you went to CBGB's and somehow you ate Hilly's chili and you didn't get sick. They would have gone that would something. That kill you, yeah, yeah. I've asked, I asked Amy Rigby that. She said, no, I didn't even try it. Did you ever try no, it, Hilly's? Even, no, we played there a few times, and no, the chili was definitely not, not, not a <laughs> Now, I've yet we, to find I one person. Was really well, when you went in there, and you, when really you played it. in there, when you actually played in there, they, the bathrooms were so horrible. Everybody used to go up to that place called Phoebe's up on the corner and get like a coffee to go so you could use their bathroom because the bathrooms were really at Phoebe's. They're legendary. There's something about music halls like that because I remember I used to tell friends at the bug jar, if I have to go to the bathroom, show's over. I'm just going home. I'm not going in this freaking thing. <laughs> the bathrooms in Europe were priceless too. I mean, really. Now that oh, I'm jealous of her living in New York. This was what, the 80, early 80s or something? Yeah, this uh, had to be uh, probably 83. So I'm that's, a real, pet, that's a real uh, Petri dish of rockers there. So you probably uh, ran into some some notable people that also had uh, like label deals and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we used to. Well, we actually opened for the shirts at Gildersleeves. That was fun. And wow. then you'd run into people. Like one time I was in CB's and then there was like Clem Burke was standing right there, you know, in the polka wow. dot shirt. Yeah. I talked to Debbie Harry on the phone once. That was fun because we worked, <laughs> I worked in a recording studio that I called MR Studios over on West uh, 30th Street. And it was owned kind of a secret partner. And it was Roger Mayer, the guy that did all the effects for Hendrix and Pete Townsend and all the English oh my guys. Gosh. Mm-hmm. And he, he'd come, Mayor would come in and he had a private room where he did all his, his gizmos back there. And I, I was let in one time and that was like a big deal. One time, the owner of the studio, a guy named Alan Carrier, brought Roger Mayer to our gig. And he came in and he looked at the setup of the amps and, oh, this is all wrong. So he did our amps for us. That was really cool. We had him do the, he did the amps. We sounded great. Then another time I was at a party at his place and he kept shoving these Keith albums that Keith Richards gave him in my hands. <laughs> Keith gave me this one wow. and Keith gave me this one, but he was kind of nuts, but he really knew what he was doing. I'll tell you, I think he's still around. I think he's still alive, actually. But, I yeah. like the one quote from Keith Richards where he was criticized for not knowing Nirvana. He says, yeah, I never heard of them, but I've been to Nirvana a whole bunch of times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a, so just then, a cool factor, though, just saying, you know where I got this album? Keith Richards got this for me. Well, Roger Mayer was really excited about it, so it was a big deal. <laughs> but that's really cool and everything. But mm-hmm. this is one thing, this is like one of those dumb questions from like a not, I'm not as much as a like a pro in music, like come a couple of these guys. Sometimes for instrumentals, is it hard to come up with a title for them? Yes. It's really hard to come up with a title. And sometimes you come up with a title and then after the song is out and you're looking at it on Spotify and you're looking, you say, why do you name it that stupid thing? Because whatever <laughs> was going on in your head is long gone. And it's like, dumb. so, you know, I look at a lot of my titles for the originals and say, why did I do that? <laughs> so I wondered, I know I saw the one spaghetti something I was just listening to. 
Oh, that was our bass player, Buck Malin, uh, wrote that one. There's a few songs that people, other people wrote. Buck, Buck passed away. He's he's gone, but he wrote Spaghetti Beach, and he wanted to title it Spaghetti Beach. And I say, <laughs> you sure? Yep, yeah, that was it. So it's his song, and we titled it Spaghetti Beach. That's what I wondered, and you guys could speak on a jazz especially, too, that when you're writing, is it pure, do you just get the riff and everything, or do, like, some words come in your head, or, like, a feeling? Well, I'll usually sit with the either the guitar, the sixth string, or the bass. Some of the songs have been written with from the bass line, and just start playing, and you just hit on something, and if you keep, if something sounds good, you keep playing it again and again. It's usually a chord pattern, the riff, or a bass pattern, and then my label partner Avery Gray who's in the back room here um she plays keyboards sometimes on the newer stuff I'll say to her have you heard this before does this sound does this sound like anything is the big deal does this sound like anything and then if she says yes well then we throw that one away and if she says no then I keep working with it and if it's something that I remember and come back to and you know like I really like this one then it'll usually turn into a song but I can start them all these different different ways. I do know because I saw Deke Deekerson on tour with those straight jackets and they did an album. I guess some of these older instrumentals like Perfidia, mm -hmm. some of these they actually started out with lyrics. Oh yeah. Yeah, Perfidia was a big uh that's like a ska song almost. It has that vibe. It was written in the thirties. I mean I I've published really? that one and the original version is very it's slower. It's it's music from the thirties and it just the Ventures did their version, and that's how it worked into the surf canon that they they brought it in. And it's a great song. It's fun to play, and it's it's melodic. Yeah, they actually did it before the uh, Shantae's did it, or Shantae's. Oh, everybody. A lot of people have done it. Yeah, that's what I love about cool. this genre, though, because you can just pick something like Low Straight Jackets did the theme from Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And they did the oh, love theme from Titanic too. <laughs> there, there's there have been um, schools of thought, just like you know the question of is uh, the Beach Boys surf music or not? No. And there's also like, can any song become a surf song? And some people say no, and some people say yes. I'm in the yes camp. Any yeah, I'm a I love the challenge like that. I love. Uh... Like some different covers, like the Super Suckers did a cover of Sail On from the Commodores, mm -hmm. and they turned it into a really cool country song. Well, it, it's fun to take songs that, that you would never think. Like I I just recently, one of my, my other single that was kind of the companion with Hawaii Five O is a version of Those Magic Changes from Greece, and they do it as a, it's always been done as kind of a slow doo y thing. In my version, I 60'd it up, and it, it's nowhere near what they did is that that's really fun when you take a song and just rework the whole thing i think uh hawaii hawaii 5.0 really is like my all-time favorite uh, that's like the ultimate surf instrumental i i don't even who wrote it like it sounds like henry mancini or somebody but uh, oh, it's, it's, it's a masterpiece. i don't remember the guy's name right off but it was written for the tv show it's so amazing. it's got it's got it's a real stevens Morton stevens yeah yeah i think so and it's got a real TV theme to it. And I hadn't done it. I mean, all the years I've been playing, I never covered it. And the drummer that I'm working with now, Nick Vincent, he worked in TV. He's worked in TV a lot. And oh, by the way, he used to drum for Ann Margaret. So there, that, that's a, uh -huh. in his uh -huh. Wow. But um, 
he's done a lot of TV work. So I figured, okay, now's the time to do Hawaii Five O because the the drummer has got the perfect feel for it. And so I said to him, "You want to do? You want to do it?" And he said, "Yeah." So I recorded everything else, like I do now. I did all the guitars and the bass, sent it to him, and then he did his thing, and he did a really, really great job with it. That's a good question about the Beach Boys if they're surf. Because I'm trying to think how I actually got into surf music, and I think. That got me into it a little because my friend David Aquest and I, we used to have our surfer cool period where we dressed up with the Ray-Bans and the oh, yeah. shorts yeah. and stuff and listened to them. He was a huge, as I am, a huge Brian Wilson fan. And, I mean, originally they were calling themselves the Pendletones after they were going in for the whole Southern California surf vibe and the whole right. songs. It's named after the shirts. Yeah. Because that was like the book right, the nearest sure, faraway sure. place said that about there was that whole trying to push the cult, the culture there. And for the inland kids, they did car songs. So that got me into it. So I'll say there's surf music, I guess. I guess whatever mm-hmm. works. <laughs> yeah, there's the big debate about, you know, is, is surf really just instro surf? Or can it have vocals on it? And then it's kind of splits along that line. So that's the debate. Yeah. Paul, any thoughts on that? I forget you're there because you're a phone link. If he's there, even. Nothing to add. <laughs> oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I, I've always, no, seriously, I've always thought the Beach Boys were, were surf music. I, I don't, I, I don't, I, I didn't even know it was a debate until oh, just yeah. now. That so. yeah, is. Well, it I is. mean, they have vocals. I mean, I think like, if I, like, I went to find surf as pure instrumental. As I always say, whatever it is, it is. If you listen to it, it's surf, call it surf. It's like, you know. <laughs> Well, isn't that like that with... Well, well, the difference... I'm sorry. There's a slight difference between Mike Love versus the singer. What were you going to say? Mike Love doesn't take it. I feel like every every label that that a style of music is called is never... I I can't think of a time when it's ever coined by the actual artists. It's always, you know... Uh, uh, like put on by you know you know by whoever is or selling the media or playing it on the radio or you know listening to it or or curating it like punk you get into a whole thing about what is and what isn't punk and right. it'll, it'll you'll just it'll bore your head right I think the hell actually up. my best example <laughs> of that one is the movie hype. Because what it's about, it's about the grunge scene. It's the the woman who was working at a magazine there. She, this stuff was going on. It was almost faded by the time Nirvana, Pearl Jam, all these bands came out. She came up with wow. the whole thing for grunge. Like what you wear and everything else after the fact. Right. Cause, yeah, well, I guess I would have to the I, mean, word? I, I listened to the Beach Boys when I was a kid. And those there you go. And solos were surf. Even if the song had vocals, the right. solos were surf so the early beach boys i know when we got into you know they got into the stuff good vibrations and all that i don't know but the early stuff that i listened to i mean as a kid when i was learning i would have said of course it's surf but then it gets you know as people get into the nuances of you know this and that and the other thing yes you might be on music it should be fun it is what it is you know what people fight over everything you know that yeah, these yeah. days it's like I think we could get into a fight over like strawberry or grape jam these days. Of course you could. <laughs> you know, or pineapple on pizza. Pineapple on pizza. Oh my god, people get so incensed about pineapple on pizza. It's like, don't eat it then. Who I cares? thought it was jam versus jelly. 
Well, stop talking about pineapple on pizza. This is going to get demonetized when it actually, comes out. Okay, actually, stop. Jam versus jelly is actually a quantifiable thing. That is a, a marmalade. Yeah. yeah. I can't Rob, remember what it is. Don't bring, a, bring a pineapple on pizza. Rob, don't bring a pineapple with pizza or Beatles with Joe. <laughs> well, sorry, but our guest here did a Beatles album, so we're going to talk about the Beatles. Susan, how where did you come to do the Beatles album? What? Why did you decide to do it? Because they're the Beatles? Because it's fun? Why? <laughs> well, a combination of things. I I, just, I always wanted to play bass. I really did. So I got uh, I got a bass, and I said, well, how are you going to learn to play bass? I didn't want to take lessons or anything. So it's like this was like around, oh, 2009. So I said, well, I'll do what I did with the guitar, and I took lessons. But I, I learned playing Beatles songs. So I got the book of book Paul McCartney Beatles songs and stuff and everything. And I sat down with it and I started playing to their records with bass. And it's like, okay, this is fun. Then I'd hear the guitar part and I'd say, well, gee, you know, I could do that. And I just kept building it. I just kept building them. So before you know it, I had a record and I put out, I put that out and I just thought, I didn't think much of it, frankly. And um, people bought it. I was going to say, uh, you're, your style is great because um, you capture the, the technical end of it, but you still give it the same energy that it deserves or the same emotion. That's yeah. a real ch- challenge, you know, yeah, especially thanks, with Beatles. Yeah, yeah I, I appreciate that. Thanks. What I did was I took, there's umpteenth, you know, trans, transcriptions of their songs and everything. And I made sure that I played all their vocal parts too, to give it, to make it sound like, like them. Because without That's what the all of it, it do. doesn't they sound like all the vocal parts. Yeah, yeah. Add it to the instrumental. It's great. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen your process in paring down the songs for that album too, because there's just so much you can choose from. Well, I did. I did the ones I like, and I, I'm a big early Beatles fan. I usually like bands in their early phase. I don't know. It just tends to be a pattern. But um, I did the early ones that I liked, and I did. Then I said, "Well, I have to do some of the older ones too. You know, the newer ones, the ones you know, post Revolver." And I picked the ones that I liked and just some worked and some didn't. I think there were some I threw out and said, no, this didn't work. And some that did work and some that worked better than others. And that's about how it went. Well, that's like I like from your body of work. You have quite the big body of work, the copious body, whatever. I have to use a big mm-hmm. word just so I have like so that I'm also have a brain. <laughs> but uh, you seem like you do. You do a lot of originals and covers now. I always think doing original music, there's like a special thing in there. I mean, covers are great, obviously, but when you do something and you get something that comes out well, it's like, there's like, wow, I did that. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do the originals, but it's a whole different skill set in doing the covers because you got to hear the song that somebody else did. You have to arrange it the way you can play it. It does, doing the covers really does enhance your arrangement skills. And it's like you have to arrange it in a way that is, People are going to listen to it and know the song, but you put something different in it. You did something that made it not, you know, yours or something that brought out a different aspect of it. And that that's always fun to do. I really yeah, like doing that. Exactly I like doing that, both of them. I think that's the difference between doing covers and being a tribute band, too. Mm-hmm, exactly. Where if you're a tribute band, people just expect to hear it regurgitated. Where if you're doing covers, they want your spin on it. Exactly. That's what people go see a tribute band. They want to see, you know, if it's a Bowie tribute band, they want to see Bowie. Yeah, my friend Rob Mount, he's in the, he played for Foreigner, and he was saying like when they did for for Lou Graham, and he said mm-hmm. when they were doing those, they, you were expected to 
repeat the foreigner drummer's drum they didn't want you doing anything special anything different they want to hear as he did it right exactly or like say a friend's band did it that's a whole nother talent to be able to, to do somebody else's style perfectly that's a whole nother thing yeah no i wish like we had our like i wonder like in terms i wish we had our drummer greg on he's going through some issues at the moment health issues and we wish we him the best but i wondered like to ask i'd love to ask him about how in terms of surf drumming how the technique is and everything compared to other drumming because i like i have no idea myself heavy backbeat on that snare <laughs> there you go heavy backbeat. yeah because i know like how long did you go on Mardell. i'm sorry how long did you work with um, Judd Williams when he was around? Not that long. Uh, Judd's on the first record. Uh, he's on the second record. He's on Thunder Beach. Yeah, yeah he's he like went- the legend of Boston because he used to live with like Amy Mann and one of the oh, guys yeah. from the Cars. Yeah. You know, he's, he's still kind of out there. He's on Thunder Beach, and that that record did well. That that was that's considered one of our the Susan of the Susan and the Surf Tone records. That's considered one of the best. He he did a good job on that, and he did. Yeah, I, I know that it was. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I know that him and also Tom Riccio used to play with you too. Who? And he, Tom Riccio? Riccio? Mm. Oh, got, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. That was early. Yeah. That was really early. But yeah, Judd went, on, right. Judd went to Germany the first time too when we did the show, did the big show in Hamburg. Wow, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's actually a question we always ask on this show. So you're moving along, you're playing, you're having fun. Then all of a sudden, COVID hits. Oh, yeah. And as an artist, how did you react to this? COVID's responsible for all the stuff I've been doing lately. I was in L.A. and um, I didn't have a car down in L.A. I used public transit. So once COVID hit, that was over. And... (laughs) I've got I've got a chronic pain condition actually that I've played with through, through the years that it makes me a little it could be an autoimmune thing so I was really worried about COVID so I'm in the apartment I had nothing to do and I'm looking and I got the guitar I got the bass so I said I could record on the computer and everything so I said well I'm try Baja because I never never liked the recordings of Baja that I did I never liked them so I said well I'm going to try and do a version of Baja. And I had a baseline that I wanted to do. It's different than the the baseline that anybody I've ever heard anybody do on Baja. So I said, I'm going to do this. So I did it. And I I worked with a guy in Nashville. He did some of the production work on it, went back and forth online. And Baja, people liked it. I mean, Bill started playing it on Sirius and it people picked up on it. And my God. It was a big deal. And it's like, oh, my God, this is what it feels like to have a hit. Boy. And, um, (laughs) you know, and then I just kept doing it because, you know, I frankly had nothing to do. And I'd get up in the morning and say, we'll do another song. And I started I was working with Nick Vincent and then another guy who I don't think you've even heard this guy's stuff yet. A guy named Kyle. You've never heard his stuff. I haven't released it yet. And I just kept doing it. Can you repeat that name? Because you got cut out on that name. Oh, Nick Vincent's the drummer. This recent stuff that's been played, okay. that's Nick Vincent. He's the guy that was Ann Margaret's drummer. And he did the wow. TV stuff and he's on Hawaii Five O. But there's another guy named Kyle who you haven't even heard yet. I haven't released the stuff that I've done with him because I was doing so much. It was because I do it all myself. And I play the lead. I play the rhythm. I play the bass. My label mate, Avery, was doing keys when they were necessary. And... It was all done, you know, like people do things now. You never see each other. 
in person. And it sounds uh, a lot like um, squares of the subterrain. They're they're yeah. pretty much a one man job too. And I kept I just kept going. As long as the pandemic, I didn't couldn't go out. I couldn't do anything, so I just kept going. And I was writing originals and doing covers and going back and looking at some of the stuff I had recorded before, twenty years ago. And you know, like well, I don't want to play bass on that one, so I do the I do them again. And that's how I kept going. I have two CDs that I haven't released yet. I don't know when I'm going to release them. I mean, I have two CDs with new originals on them and new all kinds of stuff on them. And they'll get out sometime. But, yeah, I mean, I can't release them all at once. Mike Murray would kill me. (laughs) (laughs) It really seems like uh, for musicians particularly that COVID was uh, kind of a weird, like a period of of creativity and and all you could do was just make new music you just weren't able to perform it anywhere out but you know i do so much of your time is you spent doing that that there's so much it seems to be just a unending amount of material that people have made simply because they couldn't leave the house and you know what else are you going to do yeah i got sick of watching the news and it was like okay exactly yeah no i would be like susan come on yeah I was wondering, uh, since you did Hawaii Five O, is there anything open for uh, doing soundtracks to movies or anything like that? Do you have any plans to do that? I, I that stuff has kind of come and gone. It's hard to get into. It, being you know, on time when I'm in LA, I think about it because that's if you're going to do it, that's the place to be, because that's where all the the connections are. I've had some of my stuff used. I had uh, two of the songs, Blue Hammer and Tiki Kiki, were used on the Real World. Back in season wow. nineteen, on the um, on the the one in Sydney, Australia, it was used in uh, I think episode two and episode nine, and that was the, the, the money you got. You was remember really the scene that it was used in? Was it used to like for a certain scene, or was it like an introduction to something, or what? It was used in the scene. Um, Tiki Kiki, they were on the beach down in Australia, and they played it in the the background while they were on the beach, and then. Blue Hammer, they played during one of the guys' interviews. In that season, there was a guy that wore a cowboy hat, and he was kind of cowboyish. They played it during one of his interviews. And then um, I recorded for an Italian label, Omom Music, and one of the one of the originals I wrote and a couple covers got used in a Nissan video for their trucks, a promotional video that was like 20 minutes long. So I've had some stuff used. It's nothing I've ever really pursued because it's so hard to get into. It really is. Yeah, I'll admit it. I a lot of competition. I don't know, like if like surf music good for auto ads though, because for me it would make me speed. (laughs) These were all a bunch of Italian boys running around in trucks. Oh, they sent me a copy of it, and I got to see it. (laughs) Did you ever get those songs though, where you're like, "Oh no, I'm going like 80 now while I'm listening to the song"? They look like they were going pretty fast, actually. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Susan, this is Tra- he's Charles. He's back. Yeah. He's back. He got kidnapped or something. Yeah, I'm actually doing a bunch multitasking here. Don't ask. I don't, I don't want to give away, uh, get in trouble with a boss or anything. <laughs> so anyway, um, Susan, have you? You've done tons of stuff. You got tons of material. Uh, when have you broken out of the genre? Do you ha- have you done any like experimental stuff or weird stuff that is in the vaults or anything like that or? I've done I've I've done stuff um, down in L.A. I couldn't get anybody. Nobody would go see a band. The people that I was I had met some people in the, the recording academy crowd 
and none of them would go see a band. So it was all they wanted, acoustic music, acoustic music. So eventually, the only way I could get them to actually come see me play was to do acoustic music. And that's when I started to sing, because I had to do something. So I did that. For, I put out a couple CDs doing that. And some of it's not bad. I mean, two of my best sellers were vocal songs, frankly. And I, I don't I don't really like singing. So I did it for just a little while. And then when I had done enough, I had done enough. It, it wasn't something that I... I guess I have an okay voice on certain songs, but it's nothing that it's I like. Sort of like, like the drummer uh, of Velvet Underground. She's singing a, a, probably a whole CD's worth of stuff. Of, you know, she's just mostly known for her drumming. You know? Yeah. But she does yeah. sing, or she had to sing, actually. Yeah, I, I did times. it. I mean, I did a version of Blue Moon of Kentucky, Elvis's song, that did, it did well. I mean, I was surprised. People actually bought it, and they didn't throw things at me. They actually bought it, so it was <laughs> surprising but i don't i don't enjoy singing so i did it i did it i won't do it again and that's it so um trying to think what else i've done that's different well the acoustic guitar was different i i had gotten away from playing acoustic because it does annoy my pain condition because i have to put my you got to put your elbow over the guitar more and that really hurts so what was the brand of guitar that you use yeah that's a good question or something like that i've been I got. I think Ibanez? it's. I think it's yeah, those Ibanez. are nice. Yeah, and yeah, they um, sound great. I think it is. I haven't played it in a long time because ever since the pandemic hit, I put it down, and I've been playing the electric. Now Most here's a question: work. If somebody who doesn't know anything about music like this, mm -hmm. in terms of surf music, is basically the guitar of choice whatever you feel comfortable with, or do are some better for it than others? Well, it tends, to, it tends to be a Fender, uh, the Strat, um, the jaguar jazz master they were surf guitars it does tend to be a fender but most of the work that i've done in the pandemic uh is a dan electro because that's what i had with me in la i my fender was in portland so the fender was on baja but then most of the stuff because i recorded the guitar part for baja here in portland but most of the stuff is a dan electro which is really unusual because you don't have the whammy bar I don't have the whammy on the, the it's, Dan Electro. It's used by so um, finger the who, who used Dan Electro? Mm -hmm. um, Jimmy Page used it, too, a lot. He used wow. it a lot. Yeah. Hey, Susan, I saw on one of your YouTubes, I was doing a little homework. Uh -huh. You got your hands on a Fender 12-string. Who's Whose was that? That belonged to the guy that did um, the engineer, produced, co-producer on the record, Steve Kravak. That's I cool. Went, That's probably worth some money there. Yeah, I worked with Steve on a, actually a lot of records I did with Steve, and he did the drumming on them. This is the stuff I did, oh, from 2011 till about 2016, everything that came out then. Um, he used to be the engineer for Blink-121, what is it, 182? 182. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, that's his guitar. He had, he had a really cool bass. God, he had a beautiful Fender bass that I used to really like playing. But yeah, he had some he had some good stuff. Yeah, it's we're all we all music nerds here, obviously, except our theater comic book nerd over here. <laughs> but how do you? What's the uh, sometimes like my friend Steve Litvak plays in a band called the Tombstone Hands, and I wouldn't call them surf; they're instrumental. I mean, they do some surf, other stuff. They mm -hmm. just yeah, Steve. It's like all over the place. How how can you tell people what's like? Some people, like he says, some people just don't want to go to instrumental shows. Now, what should you say to them? Like, if anybody asks, like, they, well, they don't sing. 
<laughs> so I, I heard him, this, believe it or not. I usually tell them it's like it's like retro rock. Not everything sounds like surf, like you think it sounds like surf. You know what I mean? It's it, the song. What I always have to tell them is the songs don't all sound the same. Mm-hmm. They sound different. And then I'll say, you'll like it because the songs sound different than each other. It's not the same song played for an hour. Okay, okay, okay. And then if they come... I think it's they... the same problem that people that play reggae, you know, they think, oh, they're all written, songs are all going to sound the same, you know, same mm-hmm. beats and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and tell them, you know, just come and see what it's like. You'll probably like it. And they usually do. I've had very few tell me, you know, that I wasted their time. Yeah, and they're short usually, too. And you always, it's something different. And the tempo mm-hmm. goes up, down. I actually sold one friend on going to Link Ray with me because they said, hey, you know, he did the Batman theme, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's how you have to do it. Yeah, I, yeah, I had my teacher in uh, New York. I took some guitar lessons when I was in New York City, and he always told me people will never appreciate what you do because they don't, you know, they want like Batman. You know, that's what they want. And I, yeah, okay, I don't care. You know, <laughs> well, Batman is cool. We'll be fair like, on that. We played, we played <laughs> Batman. I think there's a video out there of us playing Batman. I, we played Batman. See, it's cool. Yeah. You know, like that. I mean, come do you on, prefer man. like the '60s stuff, or, uh, or are you into the new stuff that's coming out? I like. I mean, the 60s. I, '60s kind of st- stay in that vein. Yeah, I like the '60s stuff. I like the Ray Beats a lot when they came out in the late '70s. Oh, they're great! I love those. Yeah, guys. I like. I saw them once in a New Year's Eve show in New York City. They were great. And um, I'm mostly the '60s stuff. Yeah. And Link Ray. I mean, Link Ray was Link Ray. Yeah, I was thrilled he played. Well, I got the guys from Reapers is in uh, Lost Street Jackets. Yeah. You know, uh, Danny, you know, yeah. there's a surf, uh, another surf. I'm going to call her a chick. I don't know if I'm being incorrect, but Thank that's what I'm calling her. Dee Dee Ray. And I don't know if she's related to Link Ray, but she's uh, popping up in my, my Facebook feed. And she's another surfer. Uh, sounds like Link Ray anyway. Have you heard of her? Yeah, we've been Facebook friends for a long time, but okay. I've never had, I never talked to her at night. I haven't listened to anything. I probably should, but I, I, it's yeah, pretty, I know um, yeah. yeah, it's pretty raw, but not mm-hmm. in a bad way. Yeah, that, that's good. And for listening to your stuff, Susan, I also think as an artist, I think you go wherever your muse takes you, where you start from where you started. I think something's in your head always saying, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. And that's what I like about so many musicians is you're always looking forward to what they do next because you don't know. Yep. I'd say you're right. I usually, I try hard because I've been doing it for so long. I try not to repeat myself too much and I try to look for different approaches, new ways, and, and just to keep it, going forward instead of just repeating myself over and over. And I think that's the key. I think that's why McCartney has lasted so long. He's always done something different all, all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think he just loves music and he loves to play and it's all open. He's done classical. He's. I don't think there's... I always think for an artist, if you're not afraid to fail, there are no limits or anything. That's the thing. Yeah, the thing that the trick is to know when it's bad. No, that's actually, it's even like doing a show like this or anything else. I think you have to be, you have to be confident, not arrogant, but you also have to recognize your own shortcomings and realize, okay, this isn't the best or this is not just be, oh, everything I do is great. Yeah, you do. You do. You really do. You have to be your own filter. And that's, it's, you know, it's easy 
it's easy to tell other people they're bad, but you have to be able to tell yourself you're bad. You know, it's like, I listen to some of the things I've done and say, it's just, it's not, not going to work. You know, it's, I, there's, there's stuff I have spent days on. I've spent a lot of time on and just, you get to a point where you go, no, it's just not as good as the last thing I did. And if it's not as good as the last thing I did, then why do I, I can't do it. You that know? Would, I mean, if, if you've ever had the situation though, do you ever have somebody come up to you and say they love some song and you just, oh, great, great. Then like aside, you're thinking, I really like that one that much. <laughs> not all the time. <laughs> I listen, I'll, you know, everybody will go and check their sales on CD baby and you can see what people bought. And I'll be sitting there. So that guy's got good taste. Oh my God. Why did they buy that one? Oh God. There's one song that I think is the worst song, the worst song that I ever wrote. It is the worst song I ever did. I hate it. It's called question of the night. Don't go listen to it. It's awful. And the- <laughs> so don't put it at the end of the show. Yeah, this is not coming up on this show. No. And, um, you can beat it the, out if you don't want them. There won't that's the one that Getty took. That's the one that Getty took in their library. And it's like, <laughs> of course, why? Uh, I don't know. But every time I see then, somebody buying that, it's like, oh. Hey, just well, count the money. Count the There is a bright side to that. There's actually one, one actor said this. One actor was on about some movie, and he goes, they ask him about it afterwards. He goes, I don't care. I got the check. Yeah. <laughs> It is the living too. Besides being art, you know, you you're making a living too. So yeah, I would just like to ask them though, why? What did you hear in it that I didn't hear? Because if we were all like multi-millionaires, I think there was like one actor. Somebody would come up to him about some movie he hated it so much. If they went to see it, he would actually give them their money back if he saw it. Really. Yeah, but that's like that okay was, when you when you're a multi-millionaire. That was George yeah. Clooney. I think yeah. that was George was it Clooney. Or was it was somebody. I th- oh, it was. I yeah, it wasn't for Batman. For Batman, Batman and Robin. Yeah, he's got as much mileage out of trashing his own movie. Yeah. By the way, Susan, I was wondering uh, how can we move from um, the Albany scene to the one in Oregon? Is there something that made you move, or what was the story behind that? Yeah, I just, well, I felt like coming west. My friend Avery was a friend from college and she was out here in Portland and I had never been west. I'd never been to the west coast and it seemed like time. So I came out here and um, I ended up staying. I put the band together out here. Um, I had a, a decent lineup. I'd have to say my favorite lineup was the Albany lineup, the one with Buck and Brian and Kim. And, nice. um yeah. And then I got along well with Buck Malin. And it was kind of a love-hate relationship, but we we really we got along well. And he, we had, I did a lot of good work with Buck. And um It's good to have here, a record of everything that you've done. Oh yeah. I got yeah. And what then out here I, I met um Dan Ferguson was a bass player out here on the West Coast and he's a, he's a real good guy. I really like Dan. And then after a lot of drummers I a guy named Paulie, Paulie Weasel started playing with us. And Paulie was just so easy to work with. He was just great. I mean, you could take Paulie anywhere and never have a problem. It was just great. And Avery's here. And uh, we got a, a go-go dancer for a while, Shauna Steele. That was kind of fun. And then, um, wow. yeah, went down to LA. And then I started going, I got an apartment down there and I started going. I figured as I was getting older, I wanted to live in LA for a while, but I didn't want to move. So Avery stays up here with the, the dog He's right over there and the cats in the condo. Oh, and, sorry. <laughs> and I want to go down to Portland. 
down to LA and that was kind of fun till the pandemic hit and I got locked in the apartment that wasn't fun but we got some good music out of it so no, I, I do know my friend Caitlin lives down there and she's a comic book artist and she said there's like it's for her it's really nice because there's a nice little enclave of comic book creators in there and I'm thinking that well Dark Horse Comics I think is actually Dark Horse might be in Wisconsin whatever my brain's fogged but what's Generally on the music scene there, what's really the big thing in terms of style down there? And what is like the, for surf in Portland, is it just you or are there other people? Oh no, there were other, uh, there were other bands up here. There was a band called the Verb Tones who were pretty good. Uh, Heard of them actually. Yeah, they were pretty good. We played some gigs with them and then a band called Wave Sauce. Um, Cookie, their theremin player, played on a couple of songs that I did. She on a song we did called Rock Candy, which it did pretty well. And she played on another one that I called, this is one of my weird titles, Steve Dallas for the Bloom County character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was the one that was the lawyer who managed the heavy metal band that Bill the Cat was with. Now we're going off on that. <laughs> I but, love Bloom <laughs> County. I used to have an open shirt. <laughs> Opus was the tuba player in the Bloom County heavy metal band. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Susan, this is Charles Chaz again. Mm-hmm. I, two other guys I know, if I may name drop, that I know that you've played with. Uh, Judd Williams? Yeah, Judd. Yeah. That's cool. Judd's here in Boston. I see him every couple of years. Yeah. Because I don't go out a lot anymore. And uh, Dave Anderson. Dave, yeah. Dave did a lot. I did a lot of work with Dave. We did a lot. I did a lot at Saxon Recording. Quite a bit, actually. And yeah, I, he's, the, always, he's, the, he's the perfect choice for that in Rochester. So yeah, it always turned out well. We had some good ones. He did the, we did the the first one without a word, and the one that Judd was on Thunder Beach. That Thunder Beach did really well. That was that's a that's one that I would um, say is certainly there in the Susan and the Surf Tones canon. Thunder Beach was probably one of my favorites. Um, what yeah. was your first uh, What was the first record that you did that was like the al- first album? Uh, without a word, that okay. was the first one. Mm-hmm. I put it out as a title. Yep, I, it was. Um, I put that out. It was a got a cassette release. Well, that was way back when, and I think it was ninety five, ninety six. And then the German label GD Music picked it up, and they put the CD out. So, so think- you and Dell, you and Dell, known each other for what? God, like two decades or something? Or oh yeah, since back to that. Yeah, time. yeah. right. Before that, yeah. I think I don't know if I, I found out about Susan either through Dave Anderson or somebody. I'm not sure. I think we met through but, Dave. You know, yeah. We worked together for about a year and a half, something like yeah. that. Yep, that's right. Well, it sounds also too like that's like the key. You just go with the flow wherever your muse takes you. Because I'm big Bowie fan, but I've been telling people lately just because I got a new copy of The Man Who Fell to Earth, so I've been talking mm-hmm. about Bowie a lot, that I thought after Let's Dance, he sort of stumbled because then he tried to be popular and tried to make stuff commercial instead of just going. Then he got back to it with Tin Machine, I think, in his later stuff. But I think when you just try to, like, appease the masses or just think, okay, I want to do this as the hit, it won't be the hit. It's kind of true. If it's too calculated. Well, except songs you don't like, they turn out to be the most popular. So maybe you should just go, I really don't like this one. This could be a hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to just, I mean, I, I like to do things that I think people are going to like. But then you have to be willing to take the chance on some something. Like with the singing, I didn't know if people would accept me as a singer. I, I don't accept myself as a singer. So it was like, <laughs> you know, why would they do it? But people were on me, you know, you when you when you're an instrumentalist they you always hear why don't you sing and you know you can tell them well because i'm not very good 
but they usually don't believe you. And then, so I figured I could get, I could do a few songs. I could probably pull this off a little bit, just basically to just say, okay, there, I sung. But people, <laughs> they, people did like it. I don't know. Maybe it's the tone deaf crowd. I don't know, but. You know. The story is Jimmy Page <laughs> actually can sing. He's got a good voice, but he chooses not to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can just yeah, say that voice. too. You say, I could, I'm a soprano, but I choose not to. Yeah, I was always glad I, I really wasn't a singer because I knew when I was a kid that if I had had a, a good girl voice, my voice, singing voice is low, and that I probably would have been forced into singing and I wouldn't have gotten the, the guitar lessons that I got. Because yeah. my focus was all on guitar playing, which was really unusual for a girl back in 64. You know, not many wanted to be George Harrison, but I did. That's <laughs> funny. Well, that was famous about, I mean, it was not a big... You're famous about a uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix hated. He didn't like. He yeah. He, he hated his voice. He hated his voice and was self conscious about singing and, you know, it just yeah. I don't know my view on this, and I can't sing at all. Is, and maybe Pat could speak a little bit about this because he has sung in a couple things, for his theater work. Is that I think it's about more for rock and roll. We're not expecting like a opera diva or somebody. As long as you've got the feel for it and it's. Okay, and it's not just like horrible. Because <laughs> think about like okay, like I know people like I love Tom Waits or Dylan, some of those vocalists, Nick Cave. You either I've told friends, you either sometimes will be turned away, they might like the music, but if you don't get the vocal, you're not yeah. gonna get it. But they're not expected to be like could you imagine like Dylan coming out on American Idol? No. Oh man, you know, geez, like all right. But he, he has been doing standards though. You know, that like the triple yeah, I like them. But well, what are you going to say, Chiz? So, no, really. I mean, like, Neil Young, but uh, Bob Dylan and Elvis Costello, not, they give me a freaking headache. I mean, they're the best <laughs> songwriters ever, but their their vocals are like, uh, eh, just don't know. But, I mean, they're top of their game. Well, I would pick my mom up so. from bowling and be playing Tom Waits, and she would be, what the heck is this? It's <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> great. A lot of these musicians that don't use charts are like probably like Tom Waits. They, they just get away from their own soul. They don't have to use charts or, you know, arrangements. They just do what they want to do. You know, and I've heard I guess. Like, we, we just had like a friend on. She does Girls Rock Rochester, which is a great charity. And her view on this, and I, okay, I, I think more it comes from within. But she'll say anybody can sing, anybody can write songs. And I don't know about that, but I'd like to think so. <laughs> well, John Hinckley is playing in, in New York City right well, now, John, so I want you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but Susan, what if, what are some of your most recent releases, and what can we look for in the future? The recent one, it's old Hawaii Five O, and those Magic Changes came out as two singles um, back in, in March. I think I released them on March 11th. So those are the two most recent. And then I've What's got the me, Acme Brothers. I've, all my stuff in that I released in the States are all my own. Oh, okay. Uh, Acme Brothers. And then the older stuff, the German label GD did three CDs and Omo Music did uh, one CD and then a bunch of compilations. So, you know, I think you can still get all that stuff. I don't know. But the States is all Acme Brothers. And um, the two is CDs. Amazon or, or do you have a website for that? Amazon, Amazon, Spotify, Pandora, all the usual suspects. 
Oh, okay. Probably in the fall, I'll release one of the CDs. Um, it's going to be called Whisper of the Devil. That's the title of one of the originals that I wrote that's on it that I really like. And that's a combination of originals and more covers, some unusual covers and some standard covers, surf covers. So it's got a bunch. Um, then there's one after that too. I'm not really sure what the title will be on that one. And then we'll see. We'll see where we go. I'm getting old though, guys. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think even you your will, you know, just tell people what they what they should do. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. I don't know. But I, think but I do have those two. So. I think also these days it's amazing if you're a music person because one thing I always say I miss a little bit is the joy of the hunt. Like you go to the music store, you go look through stuff, you'd find this, wow, look at the album cover. Sometimes you'd get burned because it would be a really bad record with the album cover. So, but you'd find this stuff. And how did you learn? This is your social networking then. One friend might find it or you would make a mixtape out of stuff you heard on a cassette and then you pass it on. But now these days, there's just so much out there, and there's a positive and negative, I think. You can find, like, we have Mike's show, obviously, which and there's other shows on around here for us indie-type people. But sometimes there's just so much you have to wade through. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. Yeah, it's a good side and the bad side of that. Because when I know when I started back in the 80s, I mean, you couldn't get through the labels, even the, the big indies, you know, they had their A&R people and the A&R people were gatekeepers. And, you know, one band I was did Black Types, the singer was really good in that band. And we came close to major label deals in the 80s a couple of times and in New York. And then, you know, an A&R guy would leave the one that was supporting you would leave the label. And then you were starting again from square one. And that was tough. And then now the way it's done everybody can put out anything and yeah there's a lot to wade through and i think we have these little like i don't know dell or chaz or anybody it's a good word for it. we have these little music communities for us sort of alternative music people where we have our shows and you know the other part of like rochester would be cover bands or all this other things they go to see or the major acts <laughs> But, you know, but we have our own little communities. We pass around the knowledge and go support everybody. And I'm sure everybody probably has them. That's how, you know, we think this is awesome. I love surf music and all the stuff all these guys do. Oh, yeah, that's what Mike's show is great for that because you you get, you know, you hear the stuff you want to hear. And Bill Kelly's show, if you've ever listened to it on Sirius. He puts you on there, too, because you have a Rochester connection. You used to be Mm -hmm. in Rochester for a while. Oh, yeah. All the bands started. Surf Tone started in Rochester. It'll, it'll always be a Rochester band in that regard. It, yeah. it started there. And, then, you know, that's where it sprung from. So, yeah, Rochester looms large. And, um, you know. Well, we have regard, like a lake, like a canal. You know, we have like the water right out there. We can write surf music about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. we don't have the weather, I guess. If you some people will imagine surf music is, you know, summer, sand, beach, we get that two days a year. <laughs> yeah, but it proves that it's everywhere. Well, Rochester's always been a great garage town. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, it's been, yeah, it just changed on down. Yeah, yeah, so surf and garage go sort of hand in hand, which is cool and everything. But yeah. Susan, it's been a real play. Paul, are you there? I think Paul, I am here. Anything, have you just been listening in? Anything you'd like to say to Susan or just you're listening in, pondering? Just been listening in and it's it's great to hear all your stories. It's been uh, it's been a great show. Thanks, Paul. Good I'm glad you. you. Glad you enjoyed it. Good to talk to you. 
He's great. Like if you're the host and you're an egomaniac, you don't want to be one up by your co-host. He's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Lurker. It's 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 hard when you're not in the studio because it's hard to pick up on a cue when I can get a word in. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we have. It's like it's we a Zoom have, challenge. We both have like the Zooms, obviously, because I wasn't going to be like rude and say, "Could you just fly over here?" You know, <laughs> I know it's no big deal. <laughs> you know, we have the Zoom, but we do our studio shows here, and it's sort of that's when Paul comes down, sort of in a way you can, you know, you, you see each other and everything. So, but they both go well. You know, and everything. Can I throw in one last question? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, if you weren't playing instrumental music or, or not working for the FBI or being a lawyer, what would be like your other, you know, like a chef or what would you do? <laughs> what would I do? I don't know. I always, um, well, my dad played baseball. He played uh, minor league for the Brooklyn Dodgers. He was a pitcher. Oh, so nice. I, yeah, yeah. So, cool. so I always had a bend towards sports. And because of dear old dad, I was I was pretty good at some things. I probably would have liked to have been a tennis player. Actually, I was pretty good at tennis. I would have enjoyed. Wow. Yeah. I just That's got cool. an idea if you Very want to cool. use it, Susan, in terms of like yeah. a future album. You could do recipe. Talk about being a chef. You could do surf recipes where they try to figure out by the guitar tones what you're using as ingredients. Well, that would be fun. That would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> See, I can't create, but I can come up with ideas. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, guess what this guitar is. Yeah. You know, that's a big thing right now is like food. Everything's like cooking shows and people eating food or making food up. It's just incredible how much that's been, you know, coming out like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I hope this food trend uh, stops because I, food sucks. I want it to go back to like uh, rocks and pebbles or something. Yeah, yeah I kind it's of agree with that. Well, you know, like, there's that one jazz artist, I guess he makes, like, gumbo on stage while he's playing, then serves it to the audience afterwards. I've heard mm-hmm. of that guy. But, Susan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was fun. And uh, you. And it was. You can talk about uh, just a little. We obviously we've talked about it before, uh, Hawaii Five O, and I still not. I admit I've watched maybe two episodes of the new one. So the old Bookum Dano and you know Jack Lord. I think Dal, you would know this. Wasn't he the first choice to be Captain Kirk? He might have been. He was about the same age as like him and uh, you know Batman and, and uh, what's his name, Adam West. And uh, there was probably like four and five different guys. That were- I heard yeah, Lloyd he Bridges fit, too. He would have fit the part, yeah. He would have. Yep. Five O. Five O. Well, yeah, it's a it's a great song, and like I said, I waited for the. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But God, and then I got the right drummer for it. I knew that Nick could could do it, and Nick had a great time doing it. He, it's he gotta be a fun song to play, though, man. It's it's like a, a joy to play that song, just the, the way it moves around. Yeah, you know, like, yeah no, little, seriously. It's, it's like how blame tricky. you. It's a little tricky in places. You gotta hit that, you know, the part where it goes da 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 You gotta hit that dent just right. If you don't hit right. the dent, you, the timing. Right. Yeah. The timing. You gotta yeah, you hit basic, you right. basically need Hal Blaine to do it with you, and where is he, you know? So... Yeah. Congratulations. And thank you. Thanks. I think that is. I mean, that's one of the, we're always one of the big views on this show. The two things are go see what you like, but go see what you don't like because you may enjoy it. But everything music is just subjective. So I don't know what 
everybody's got their favorite surf song. That's got to be in the top five, though, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, it was, it's got, it's it's a good song. There's a lot to it. When you get into it, you hear a lot of different things. Like, I heard a little bit of Western in it when I was playing it. Sounded like a little bit of a spaghetti Western to me. Exactly. Uh, yes. Wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's one song I can never get sick of either. I can hear it all the time and love it. <laughs> well, it's short. Yeah. Yeah. No, but not well, only that, I think you could play it for a half hour and keep changing it around. I would still like it. Yeah, I changed the bass line in half of it. Half of it's got like a pedal type of on the floor, you know, one, two, three, four. And then I changed it up on the so second. So what half. we want, what we want from you is a 15 minute disco remix of uh <laughs> Don't say it, I might do it. I would love it. <laughs> Chaz is gonna buy he's gonna get like a get one of those picture discs and everything with like palm trees and Chaz will buy it. Don't give me exactly. an idea, man. I do, you know, I just like it. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool, though. Disco yeah. surf. Disco surf, yeah. I Very always cool. laugh. I always laugh because in the the Grammys they took the pulsa category away a long time ago. Oh, I always say if they had kept it, I'd I because my last name is Yasinski. I'm half Polish. And I always say if they kept the polka category, I would have done surf polka and I would have won. So, you, know, yeah. you never know. Maybe I'll Lawrence do surf Will polka. can't sweep that though. Yeah. Maybe I'll He's do surf do. polka. I don't know. I'm a Dr. Kilbasa fan though too. I like him a lot. He's Yeah. <laughs> but what were you gonna say, Paul? I said it's never too late. Never. Surf polka. They might bring it back. There we go. But thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks all you guys for joining me. Thanks, boys. Thank Dan, thanks a lot, and that's it. Okay.
are the Architects of Entropy, a collaborative world-building tabletop role-playing actual play podcast. In other words, my friends and I create exciting, weird worlds and then we play in them. Join us for our introductory story as we play Dungeons and Dragons in a homebrew high fantasy world populated with dwarves, elves, fairies, and anthropomorphic weasels. What's going to happen next? We have no idea. Join us and find out. Architects of Entropy, a podcast.